All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, this morning, we are going to begin a new series. Uh, on Mission is what I've entitled this series, On Mission. Um, and so we're going to look at, through this series, what we need to do in order to be on mission. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be at this morning. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we're going to look at the Great Commission text, beginning in verse 19. And then we're also going to be in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and then in Acts chapter 1. So typically I'm going to preach through one uh, pericope or one chapter of the Bible or one kind of unit, but today we're going to skip around just a little bit um, as we begin this new series on mission. We're really going to be talking about through this series, what, what do we need to do in order to be on mission as a church. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means in a moment. But today, uh, I've entitled this sermon, What Is It That Unifies the Church? What is it that unifies the church? If we're going to be on mission together as a church, then we've got to be unified as a church. And so today, we're going to learn what it is that unifies the church. So hopefully you found your place in Matthew 28. I'm just going to read Matthew 28. We'll read the other scriptures as we get there. But just to kick it off, I'm going to read Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19. We'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to dive in to today's message. Starting in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together as the church, to open your word, to learn from it, Lord. And we, we ask that you would help us to do that today, that we would learn what it looks like for us to be a unified church so that we might apply that in the weeks and months and years ahead as we seek to be on mission for you. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up, I played a lot of team sports and, and soccer and baseball were really my sports of choice. And one of the things that I enjoyed about team sports was that there was this unity and camaraderie that existed amongst the team. You know, and the cause of that camaraderie and unity came from us recognizing that, that we're all in this together, that we're all working towards the same goal. We want to become a better athlete so that we might win the game and, and ultimately so that we might win the championship. But as you have probably experienced, unity and camaraderie, they are hindered when we begin working for ourselves. Even if it's just one person, if just one person begins doing things their own way, they can divide the whole team. One person has the power to do that. And you know, a church is a lot like a sports team. Much in the same way, unity and camaraderie exist when we are all working together and unity is hindered when we begin moving in our own direction, when we allow our own preferences to take center stage. And while it's a big, de big deal for a team to be divided, I mean, you know, a, a game is on the line, ultimately a championship might be on the line. I, let me just say it is more important for a, for a church to be unified because a lot more is on the line than us just winning a game or us just winning a championship. I mean, we are, we're talking about people's souls. We're talking about people's growth in the Lord. We're talking about the glory of God. A lot more is on the line than just winning a game 
when it comes to the church. And so what can we do to make sure that that we get out of the way so that we might remain unified? Or in other words, what is it that unifies the church? We've been doing a lot of reading in the area of leadership recently. And one of the topics that keeps coming up is that a company, that an organization, that that a church needs a mission statement. And in case you're wondering, a mission statement is just simply a formal summary of the aims and the values of an organization or a church. I mean, it is really what we hope to accomplish as a church. Most organizations, when you look through their website, you get a little pamphlet from them, they have a mission statement. And, and, and the problem, though, that keeps coming up in these leadership books, in these articles, these blogs, these podcasts that I'm listening to on leadership when they begin to talk about a mission statement is that many people don't operate according to their mission statement. It's something that somebody poured over for a long time, right? If you've ever created a mission statement for a business or, or an organization, you know that, that it can take some time. You, you want to refine that statement to it's just right. Uh, you lay awake at night, you're just pouring over the words and you're thinking, oh, if I shift this phrase here, if I, if I make a synonym for this word, it's going to sound so great and people are going to really understand what it is that I want to accomplish. And then you get to the point where you have captured this mission statement in the least amount of words possible and you are gung-ho about it. You throw it on your website, you put it in a pamphlet, but the problem is is that that's where it lives. It lives on a website, somewhere on a web page. it lives in this pamphlet and it's not really the focus of everyone in the organization. It's just a few people have it in mind. A few people discuss this once a year. It's not the focus of everyone. But here's the thing, our mission statement can't be something that we just tuck away on a website. It can't be something we just put in a pamphlet and hand to visitors when they come. It has to be the focus of everybody. It has to be on everybody's mind. It's gotta be at the forefront of what we are doing as a church. And that's because the mission of the church is what unifies the church. Now, one of the advantages that we have as a church is that we don't have to pour over our mission statement. We don't have to, to lay awake at night. We don't have to sit there and just, just refine this thing till it captures exactly what we wanted to say in the least amount of words possible. We don't have to do all of those things. All of that hard work has been done for us. It's been done by someone, Jesus. Jesus gives us our mission. And so what is the mission of the church? Well, beginning in Matthew 28, right there at the beginning of verse 19, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we'll stop there for now. And so we see here that that our mission as believers is to make disciples. That's what we are to do. That's what we are to be about. That's what we are to unify around. That's what should be at the forefront of every single person's mind. We are to make disciples. And a church that is laser focused on the mission is a church that accomplishes its mission. So let me just say that again. A church that is laser focused on the mission is a church that accomplishes its mission. And our mission is to make disciples. And so if we're going to complete our mission, we need to know what a disciple is. And so what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is simply someone who follows a specific teacher or a leader so that they might become like that person. And the person that we're supposed to be following, the the teacher, the leader that, that we are to follow, that we are to seek to become like is Jesus. We are to follow him. We are to become like him. 
Not only are we to become more like Jesus, but but Jesus here tells us that we are then to go out and make disciples, which means that we are to work to make others like Jesus. Now, how do we do that? Well, first, Jesus says we do that by going. Again, in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And when Jesus tells us to go, he doesn't just have in mind that we would go on a mission trip or that we might just heed the call to full-time missions to be, to be a missionary in a foreign country. I mean, those things are necessary. We need to do that, right? I mean, we need people who are gonna go on short-term mission trips to support missionaries or in foreign countries. We need people who are answering the call to missions. If God has placed that call in your life, by all means, you need to answer that call. But that's not all of what Jesus meant when he says, go. Go is a participle, which basically tells us that we are to make disciples as we are going about our day. So you could translate this as not just go, but but as you go, as we are going. And so whether we live in Africa, whether you live in China, whether you live right here in Red Oak, we are to seek to make disciples everywhere we go. All of you probably go to breakfast. There's a group of guys in here who, who have been working hard in the office over there. So thank you for all the hard work you did. But, but I hear they're called the coffee guys, right? So they, they go and they have coffee every single morning. Or there's some other guys who gather together for men's breakfast at Cancun. And, and there are women who gather together. And, and there are people who do different things out in the community. As you're going to gather together with your buddies for coffee or, or whether you're gathering together for men's group out in the community, you can be seeking to make disciples, not only amongst your group, but but also those who you might come into contact with. Or whether you're at at lunch or whether you're at dinner or whether you just go and you study at the coffee shop or maybe you you go to the dry cleaners and you go to the same dry cleaners every single week. You're, You're getting to know the person that is there and you're seeking to build a relationship with them so that you might speak the gospel into their life. The same with with you guys who have kids or grandkids in sports. You can do the same thing. You you got people and parents right there on that sports team that you go and you sit and many people go and they sit and they just sit there on their iPhone, you know, like strike up a conversation with them, begin talking to them. Maybe they'll put their phone down and they, they will begin talking to you. That is an opportunity for you right there to make disciples. What Jesus is getting at here is that we make disciples as we go in the natural rhythm of our life. We don't have to wait for the church to say, hey, we're gonna do an outreach event next month. Or we have a trunk or treat that is coming up. Hopefully you guys are are preparing for the best trunk uh, contest. Uh, And and that's an opportunity for us to, to reach out to the community. That's an opportunity for us to begin making disciples as a church corporately. But you don't have to wait for those events because we're only gonna have those periodically. As you go throughout your day in the natural rhythm of your life, you are seeking to make disciples. Along with going, we're also to baptize those who believe the gospel. And that's what Jesus gets at in the remainder of verse 19. So look back at the text with me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, the first thing we do. Second, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the second step in the disciple-making process. Those who believe the gospel, as we go, we're we're speaking the gospel to people. People are certainly gonna believe the gospel. What do we do next? Well, we baptize them. At the church that... That I, that I just left, uh, Sycamore Baptist. Uh, the, the last Sunday that, that I had there was a very special Sunday for my family and I. Not only had the church shown us great love and care through this transition as we've been transitioning here to Eastridge, but 
there was a young man who had professed faith in Christ at VBS, and I'd been working with his parents, uh, taking them through some discipleship material, or having them, excuse me, take him through this discipleship material. And, and they knew that I was leaving. They came to me and said, man, we would really love for you to baptize him before he leave, before you leave. And so that last Sunday, uh, I was able to baptize Ryder. He had made a profession of faith. We'd walked through this material. We knew that he was a believer in Jesus. He understood what it meant to be baptized and why you would do this second step of the process. And so it was a memorable, it was a special day for me as I was able to baptize him. Now, Ryder, he, he didn't do that because baptism saves him. Baptism doesn't save us. Jesus is the one who saves us. And so why baptism. Why this second step of the process? Well, when we are baptized, what we are actually doing is we are associating ourselves with Jesus. Through the act of baptism, we are telling the world that Jesus is the one who saves. We are saying in that moment, through that act, that there is no other savior and no other way to experience salvation but by Jesus. Baptism then is just an outward expression of an inward reality. And it's an important second step in this disciple-making process because we are drawing a line in the sand and we are walking over this line and we're saying, we don't believe that anybody else saves. We don't believe that any other religion provides us with salvation. Jesus is the only way. We are connecting ourselves to him at that moment. But making disciples does not just involve us convincing others that Jesus is our savior baptizing them, making disciples is, is unlike any other process. It is a process that lasts a lifetime, which is why we're told lastly that we make disciples by teaching those who believe the gospel to obey all God has commanded in his word. So look at verse 20 with me. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Making disciples involves more than just winning someone to Christ so that they make a profession of faith. Making disciples involves us teaching others more about Jesus, what it looks like, what it means, how we can follow Jesus on a daily basis. And this is oftentimes where the mission of the evangelical church falls apart. Uh, we, we want to do all that we can to win people to Christ. We have evangelism campaigns. We have these outreach events. We, 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 we are good at getting people to take this first step in the disciple-making process. But that's just it. It is the first step in the disciple-making process. We can't stop at the first step. We, we certainly want people to profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but, but we can't stop there. We have to keep walking with other people. We have to teach them to observe all of Jesus's commandments. And you know, this commandment is not just for pastors. Oftentimes we say, well, that's great. That's for you, pastor. Um, we're gonna go out, we'll, we'll, we'll arrive at these evangelism outreach uh, events. Uh, we may even go in the community and, and, and seek to make disciples as we go by talking to other people. But, but after that, we're gonna let you baptize them, which is fine. And then we're going to let you teach them. We're not, we're not going to do any of that. Well, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus tells all of his disciples, he's not just talking to pastors. He's talking to all of his disciples that if you are a believer in Jesus, you are his disciple. And he's saying, you are to teach other people. Now, let me just say, 
teaching happens in a number of different ways, right? You could teach somebody in a formal setting like we're doing right here, where I'm standing up, I'm teaching you. You can teach in a Bible study setting, a little bit more formal. Or you, you might teach through family conversations. You might teach through devotions that, that you read to your kids at night and, and you pray with them. You might be able to teach others in the church by joining into the discussion in Sunday school class. I mean, you are sharing what, what the Lord is teaching you in his word. You are gathering together as a group of believers. You can teach one another at that moment as well. You might even get together with another church member for, for lunch or for coffee and, and just to talk about how is the Lord working in your life? What, what has he been teaching you? You might gather together and just simply read a portion of scripture and begin talking about that with someone. And there are a number of ways that you can teach other people, which means it's possible for all of us to be teachers. And that's really what Jesus wants. He wants all of us to be teachers. Now, on the one hand, that, that's pretty encouraging because it means that, that we can all do what Jesus is telling us to do here. But on the other hand, it's, it could be a little bit scary because it means that we're all teaching others how to be or how not to be a disciple of Jesus as we're living, as we're working, as we're playing. We are teaching others as we go about our day. We are teaching others through our conversation. Just think about your kids. You know, you see them do something and you're like, man, oh, that's what I did last week. They learn from you. And you're like, I I've got to stop doing that. I can't, I, I can't have my kid interacting and reacting in this particular way. And so we, we, we are always teaching other people. People are always looking at you. And so then what is the mission of the church? Well, making disciples is the mission of the church. Making disciples is what we are supposed to be focused on. That means that everything that we do as an individual, everything that we do as a church should move us in that direction. And when everyone is focused on making disciples, when everyone has, has bought into the mission, then we will be unified and we will accomplish much for the kingdom. God will be glorified. Jesus' name will be famous. And many people will experience salvation. But here's the thing, we, we have to buy into that mission. That mission has to remain the main thing. We can't get caught off in other things. The mission has to be our focus. And while making disciples needs to be our sole focus, oftentimes we get distracted. I mean, we, we allow other things to creep in. We allow our own preferences and our likes and our wants and our comforts to creep in. And when that happens, our mission shifts or someone, some would say our mission creeps. And so how do we guard against mission creep? In other words, how do we make sure that we are continually on mission? How do we make sure we're doing that? Well, the book of Acts, when you, if you turn over there with me to Acts chapter two, the book of Acts is the story of how the early church started, how the early church grew. After Peter's spirit-empowered message at Pentecost, a multitude of people began following Jesus as his disciples. And we're told in verse 41 of Acts chapter two that there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. If you think about it, the first church was a mega church. And I know some people are like, oh, mega church this and mega church that. And, and I'm not trying to advocate for the mega church. But, but if you think about it, the first church was a mega church. There were 3,000 people were added to the church plus the people who were already a part of the church. 
Now, to be sure, all of these people did not stay in Jerusalem. And the text isn't explicit here, but, but we do learn in, in verse five that you know, people came from every nation under heaven to hear Peter and came here to Pentecost to celebrate. Now, I, I'm assuming that, that some of these people went back to their own town. They, they, they began to make disciples there and they started their own church. But I'm, a lot of people stayed. A lot of people who were in Jerusalem, a lot of people who lived in Jerusalem, they stayed and then they joined with the Jerusalem church. We're told starting in verse 42 what their day-to-day activities looked like. The text says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. These are the things that the early church were devoted to. Each day, they, they, were, they were taught from the scriptures. This wasn't just like a, a once a week thing. It wasn't like they came Sunday morning or, or Wednesday night and, and they, got their, you know, they got their preaching and they got their Bible study. I mean, this was every single day they were diving into the scriptures. The apostles were teaching them. They were hungry for God's word. I mean, there are many people who bring their Bible on Sunday morning and that is the only time that they open their Bible. The early church, they didn't have Bibles, but they had the apostles who were teaching them and they were hungry, hungry for God's word. We must be hungry for God's word as well. Not only devoted to to coming to church and gathering together with one another, hearing the preached word, studying God's word in a Bible study context, studying God's word in Sunday school, but we need to be hungry for God's word so that we are going to it every single day. We're reading it, we're soaking it in, we're learning from it, we're gathering with other people to talk about it. And not only did they do that, but they gathered together to fellowship with one another on a daily basis. I mean, the church was their family. It was their community. They did life together. This was their support group. We also see that they were constantly reminded of Jesus' sacrifice on their behalf. The text tells us that they broke bread together. And the idea is that they participated in the Lord's Supper together. As they would gather together, they would, they would gather together in fellowship meals, but they also broke bread with one another. They would be reminded of the gospel when they did that. Jesus' body was, was broken on their behalf as they, as they took the bread. And as the wine represented Jesus' blood that was spilt for them. And each time they would gather together and break bread with one another in these fellowship meals, they would take communion, they would be reminded of the gospel. This is something that they did often with one another. And so they had a visual representation of what their mission was calling them to, to go out and to share the gospel, how Jesus has come, how Jesus was sacrificed on our behalf, how it is Jesus and through Jesus alone that we experience salvation. And they were visually reminded of this often. And lastly, we see that they prayed for one another. Now, I would imagine that their prayers went deeper than just just their physical needs. Not that we shouldn't pray for the physical needs of other people, we should. I mean, our God is a God who is powerful. Our God is a God who heals. We should certainly pray for the physical needs of other people. But let me just say, you can't stop there. You have to move past the physical to the spiritual, to the emotional. You need to be sharing with other people what you're struggling with. And if we're all honest, we're all sinners. We all live in a sinful world which means that we all struggle with sin. We all feel the effects of sin on our life every single day. We are all struggling with something. We are broken people. 
Maybe you're stressed out about work. Maybe you are worried about the future. Maybe your marriage is not going well. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're thinking about suicide. Maybe there are certain sins that keep hindering and and plaguing you on a daily or a weekly basis. We're all struggling with something, which means that we all need prayer for something. And if we believe that our God is a powerful God, if we believe that our God is a God who answers prayer, a God who heals, certainly we need to be willing to not only answer, ask for the physical, we certainly need to do that. But we need also to be willing to ask other people to pray for us, for our spiritual needs, for our emotional needs, for our psychological needs. We need to be able to ask people to do that. This is what the early church did And this is what we are to do. Now, I'm not saying you have to stand up at the end of the church service and just begin to read out a list of your sins or a list of your struggles that that you have, right? I mean, uh, you might do that. You could do that. I mean, it might not be wise for you to do that depending on what it is that you're struggling with or what you're dealing with. But, But you need to have some people that you can go to. You need to have a group of people that may be your accountability partners or your, your prayer partners that you feel comfortable sharing some of your deepest, darkest secrets and your sin that you're dealing with, people who can come alongside of you and pray for you and encourage you to read scripture with you. We need to be praying for one another. These are the things that the early church were devoted to. These are the things that we need to be devoted to. And when our focus is Jesus, when our focus is his word, when we're, when we're focused on building other people up, then we will be on mission. It's when we allow things to creep in, to, to steal us away from the scriptures, to steal us away from fellowshipping with one another, to, to steal us away from being reminded of the gospel on a, on a daily basis, to, to steal us away from believing that prayer is powerful. It's when we allow these things to creep in, when we allow these things in the world to steal us away from those things that we will get off mission and that we'll begin doing things our own way that we'll lose focus, that disunity will begin to occur. And so we must be devoted to these four activities if we want to remain on mission. Now, of course, let me just say it's easier said than done. I mean, we're all sinners. We all, we still inhabit this, this body of death as Paul talks about in the book of Romans. We slip, we fall, we chase after the things of the world instead of the things of God. We find our help in other things. We are selfish people because we're sinners. And so how, how can we remain vote, devoted to the word, to fellowship, to prayer, to the gospel? How can we remain devoted to these things? Well, let me just say the good news is, is that you don't have to do it in your own power. The Holy Spirit empowers a believer's devotion. You know, after Jesus resurrected and before his ascension, he stayed with his disciples for 40 days comforting, teaching them about God's kingdom. And starting in verse four of Acts chapter one, we read this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a little bit later, if you drop down to verse eight, we learn this, the benefit of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, as Christians, then we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who keeps us on mission. He's the one who empowers us. That doesn't mean that that we don't work. 
That doesn't mean that we just, you know, sit back and say, God, you just, you do it all. I'm just here, I'm just along for the ride. You know, like, no, we work, we strive, we press on, we do our part. We, we go to the scriptures every day, we, we pray, we, we seek out fellowship, we remind ourselves of the gospel on a daily basis. We still work, we still do these things. But we don't have to do it in our own power. The Holy Spirit is there. And the Holy Spirit is empowering us each and every single day. The third person of the Trinity, God himself. He doesn't leave us. He stays with us. He empowers us so that we might be on mission. And this reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our God does not leave us alone. He doesn't tell us to do it in our own strength. Instead, he works in and through us so that we might continually be devoted to him. And when we're devoted to the things of God, we're gonna be on mission for Jesus. And when we're on mission for Jesus, we're gonna be unified as a church. The world is, gonna be, is going to experience salvation. God is going to be glorified. Jesus's name is gonna be made famous. And that's what we're to be about. We're to be people who are seeking to make Jesus's name famous, not our own name. Jesus' name. You know, the other night I was talking with my father-in-law about mission. And as we talked, he shared with me a time when he was in the army. And he said that one of the things that they ingrained in him, one of the things that they ingrained in all of the soldiers is it's mission first and people always. Right? We care about people. We engage with people. But it is the mission that is first. And I want us to keep this in mind because as we embark on this new chapter of ministry here at Eastridge Baptist Church, I mean, it's gonna require some change. I know that you all have experienced change over the last year as you've been in transition, looking and seeking a new pastor. Uh, my family and I, we have experienced a lot of change over the last year as well. And so I, I know exactly where you're coming from. For the last years, I've been looking for a new pastor. I've personally felt the effects of change in my life, not, not only emotional, emotionally, but also physically. I mean, for a time, as I, was, as I was searching this out, I actually got a stomach ulcer from all of the different stress and things like that that was going on. I had to go to the doctor and get medicine and all this stuff. And then even after I accepted the call here to East Ridges, we've been looking for a home and, and we've put four contracts on a home and we finally won the bid on this last one. And so hopefully we're gonna be moving here at the end of the month. So praise God for that. But, but just, the, just the tension of all of that has created all of this tension in my shoulders and my neck. You know, I'm not sleeping well at night. And so I, I know firsthand the effects of change not only emotionally, but, but there are physical effects that take place as well. But let me just say, it's all for the better. It is all for the better. While this last year has been hard, God has taught my family and myself more than, than we could have ever imagined. God has been more gracious to us than, than we could have ever imagined. God has done things in our life. He has refined us in ways that we could have never imagined, that we could have never experienced. We've grown to be more like Jesus through this process. And I can honestly say that, that that wouldn't have happened without change, without things occurring in our life, without us facing these difficulties and these struggles. And through this transition, God has been so good to us. And not only the church that we have left, 
They have been better than we could ever imagine. The folks here at Eastridge have been better than we could ever imagine. God has been more gracious than we could have ever imagined through this time of transition. We've watched his sovereign hand play out as he has directed us to this church and to the ministry here. And so I know firsthand how difficult change can be, but I also know how good change can be. And if we trust him, if we keep his mission primary, if we remain unified around his mission to make disciples, I fully believe that God is gonna do things through us. He's gonna do things through this church that we can never, ever imagine. And I promise, as your pastor, I'm gonna strive to teach you. I'm gonna strive to, to help you to apply all of God's word all of the full counsel of God's word. I'll do everything that I can to lead us to be on mission so that we might impact this community for Christ. I want nothing more than for us to have an impact for Christ in Red Oak and the world. I want nothing more than than for us to leave a legacy of gospel witness here at this church. I want nothing more than for this church to be a light and a beacon to the world for Christ. I want nothing more than for us to make Jesus' name famous together. And so in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, let me just encourage you as I encourage myself because I'm including myself in this. We gotta keep the mission first. We gotta keep the mission primary. If we do that, if we remain unified, then we will begin to write the next chapter in this church's history and it will be a a chapter that says Jesus's name has been made famous here. And so let's keep the mission first. Let's not allow things to creep in. Let's remain unified and let's remain unified around the mission. If you will go with me to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you guide and that you direct us, that you give us a mission, Lord. And God, as we embark on this journey together, as we begin writing a new chapter in this church's history, God, Allow us, Lord, allow us to be focused on the mission. Allow us to keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep us unified, Lord. We know that Satan doesn't want for us to be unified. We know that he wants disunity and discord to take place in this church so that we won't make Jesus' name famous. But God, protect us from that. Help us, Lord, to remain focused on the mission. In this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.